everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. And today we've got a nice, relaxing episode for y'all. So sit back, enjoy yourselves. We're going to have a, a fun time. Now with this topic, I'll be honest, I did my research. But uh, Don, this is more your speed than mine. Um, how, how did your research come along? Excellent. Um, I, I, I research this topic almost every weekend and often on weekdays. Uh, you want to go ahead and tell them what we're talking about then? Unless th- th- if they know you, they know what it is. Wait, shh, shh. Oh, oh, oh. Got one on? <laughs> what are you catching in your apartment, Don? Okay, I have a house, first of all. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> what are you catching in your house? Well, now myself, because I'm surrounded in about 30 yards of uh, line, but um, <laughs> it was worth it for the for the two second bit. There's literally just a raccoon screaming at the other end of the line that we can't hear off oh, the mic. No, no, there's no more raccoons here. <laughs> After my chickens were victimized, there are now no more raccoons. On that note, we are talking <laughs> today, folks, we are doing a little bit of a talk on fishing. Honestly, if you can think of like any of the top 10 like games in your life chances are at least one of them has a fishing mini game so we figured why not talk about fishing mini games as a whole because they're just like if you try looking up like all the best games you will find that most of them have some kind of fishing especially in the- they retroactively put it in skyrim after like 10 years <laughs> like exactly people go back to put it in because they forgot it it is incredible. If you really think about it, just how many games have decided we need to give someone something leisurely to do while playing their games. You know what? Just let them go fishing, and it's fine. Just a few strings of code here, a couple of things there. Boom. Fishing minigame, 10 out of 10 games. And it's if you're correct. on Xbox, tie achievements to it and make your people play for 300 hours. I mean, okay, to be fair, Sony does or that Or if too. you're RuneScape, make it take... All of the hours. Cue the sea shanty. Uh, I'm sorry. That is like one of the best songs to play for 10 hours straight on a road trip. Sea shanty 2, actually. That's the one you want. Oh, well, shoot. I'm sorry. Sea shanty 2. My bad. All right. So I do have some particularly fishy news. And listeners, you're more than welcome to voice your opinion on this topic. Um, I'm going to give you all a moment after reading it to process it. <clears throat> 3D printed vegan seafood could someday be what's for dinner. Mmm. Ew. Ew. I mean, you don't even know what it's made of. I mean, obviously it's not made of fish. Chris, what do you think? I mean, look, I'll eat anything. I'm a I'm a trash can. Uh. That's true. We did eat at Buffalo Wild Wings at one time. We really will eat anything. Oh, but, don't like, di- do not dis we do not disrespect <laughs> B dubs on this podcast. How will we ever get a sponsorship, Lucas? <laughs> This stuff is a. Oh my god! Made. Like yeah, beat ups. If you're listening, I'm here for you. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. I take it back. I take it back. Can I get some boneless wings at least? Boneless just, wings are nuggets, okay. but that's a yeah. whole other thing. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, we need to, we need to be done with boneless wings. They are nugs. Actually, Call a guy suing. A guy is currently trying to sue Buffalo Wild Wings over that exact thing. I'm so like, I like. I hate like pointless lawsuits, but I agree with him in principle. Another guy also sued, just is maybe still is suing TGI Fridays. This one I think has merit because their mozzarella sticks are not mozzarella. I think they're American cheese. And that is not the authentic Italian experience that I expect when I go to TGI Fridays. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I know. For real. For real. Okay. Moving on. 
The the uh, vegan seafood is made. It's made with a three D printer. It is made of a mixture of micro microplastics. <laughs> I mean, the, no, that's the fish you normally catch. This stuff is made out of microalgae protein and mung bean protein. And their proof mm. of concept was an air fried calamari ring that it turns into a that they've made into a I quote quick tasty snack. Mm. I mean, okay, all all joking aside, this is a trend that we have seen people going for with other meats and other foods of trying to make it like vegan approachable. The one thing I will give them points for is that if somebody wants to eat like shellfish or seafood but has a seafood allergy, this might be the closest they can get to actually eating it without going into anaphylactic shock. So I mean yeah. there there is a point to that. And as I mean, as weird as it sounds, like this is something that people have an interest in a market in. This is one of those times where, listen, if people want to buy this stuff, go right ahead. There's a market for the Impossible Burger. There's a market for other Impossible Meats. I don't see why seafood is any different. The big difference isn't so much the taste. It's a matter of how people overfish. And this isn't like the everyday fishermen that we see and we're going to be talking about in this podcast. It's like the mass corporate fishing of sucking the oceans of all the good fish and then just not caring any hoot about regulations. So, I mean, like, this is what we've come to, where, like, a ton of people are just saying, like, you know what? The ocean's getting empty. Time to 3D print our fish. So I, I feel like we could use this as a threat of, like, hey, stop overfishing, or we're going to have to eat mung bean paste and microplastics in order to survive. It's not it, – to be clear, it's not microplastic. Microplankton. No, it's microalgae, but Don had me on it, so, like, it's fine. Okay. But – Microalgae, yes. Yeah, microalgae protein and mung bean paste. I mean, I, I, it is pretty cool that we can do this, but the one problem with every impossible meal I've ever eaten is that I know what it is just by tasting it. Like, I know it ain't real. Like, and, and that's the thing they're trying to fight. And to be fair, that's gone a lot farther than the past where you tried eating it and it was just disgusting. So they've, they've come a long way. They're not did there you yet. Ever see, did you ever see The Fifth Element? Uh, yeah. It's cinematic uh, masterpiece. Good. Um, this just reminds me of when Lilu, like, pours a couple, like, sprinkles onto a plate, puts it in the microwave, and, like, a full-blown rotisserie chicken comes out. Yeah, like, you'll never have as good, like, food as, like, in a Studio Ghibli film. I, I changed that. I want to get the food from The Fifth Element. I just want to be able to get a chicken out of the microwave. I want... A Chinese restaurant to fly up to my window and make food right there, like oh, like was... what happens in the Fifth Element. <laughs> that was really good. See, the food of the Fifth Element is what we need to be talking about, not just all about Ghibli. But obviously, Don, you're not really. I would love to. Just... I would, Don. I would pay for your meal to sit there and eat like the full course of what they offer. And like I, honestly, just... I, I I will say I'm like I don't have the highest opinion of it, but you know what? If if someone wants to go out and enjoy that then like you know more power to them and i think i think people should and i think it's a good uh, option for either people that normally can't eat seafood but want a, some level of equivalence experience or just from a, an environmental standpoint um so I'll, I'll i'll pick on it but i'll also say you know more power to you if you're into that it just means more fish in the water for you don i know i, I just want there to be more fish honestly like even not even for me just in general i'm just <laughs> pro more fish 
Don, weirdly enough, like your method of just like, oh, I'm just going to catch the fish and eat it is the most sustainable of the three of us. Oh, so I, like, I figured we'd talk about that maybe. I don't know if that was going to be part of the podcast oh, or no, not. Oh, no, we will but... definitely – we are definitely talking about that. But like I just wanted to point out, like anyone was like, oh, my gosh, Don doesn't want to like go out to the Viva. Like, nah, he's the most sustainable one listening to this. Y'all be quiet. Leave my man alone. Um, All the fish – let's, let's pause on the fish stuff. And let's talk about Pokemon World because honestly – that was pretty cool. Like, I think I had a lot of fun watching it. Yes. Um, I Yes, yeah, so we had Yokohama Worlds, which was very cool. It was the first ever Japanese Worlds. Um, and there was lots of other fun side events um, and cool things. They had, like, a sort of SSN. Because I believe Yokohama is the uh, basis for Vermilion City. Remember my yeah. lore? Yes, right? yeah, I yes. believe so. Yeah, they even had a cruise ship docked where you could do battles and other cool things. And it was a very... Uh... This is unfortunately... I, I was not able to attend this Worlds. I... Uh one didn't try as hard as i should and also just was not good this uh season but um, i had a lot of friends that went and a few friends that did quite well so um but i just want to real quick talk about the teams and stuff we have to see and um this was an odd numbered world which means japan wins because they win every odd on the odd numbered worlds it's just sort of like how it how it be how long has this um blessing curse magic voodoo been around uh one moment i have a chart um Okay, so since 2015. That's a pretty so good almost, streak. Almost 10 years. Yeah, so 2015 uh, with Shoma, 2017 with uh, Ryota, 2019 with, no, with Naoto. Um, so yeah, continues the pat the pattern. Uh, we missed 2021. We didn't have a 2021 Worlds, but I'm sure they would have won. It's the only way they can be stoked. But yeah, so this year, this year we had, and like some people are calling it boring, and this is sort of, a thing that I don't think people appreciate with VGC, especially at a high level and in certain formats, is you can have a team of the same six Pokemon um, that you see everywhere, but have like very unique aspects to them. So the winner, uh, uh, Shohei Kimura, um, who goes by Zine, I think on Twitter, um, had a, a relatively standard on paper team of Landers, Therian, Urshifu, uh, Water Urshifu, Fluttermane, Chainpow, Amoongus, and Iron Hands. Um, but there's some interesting things like one, like he doesn't really have any speed control, um, but at the same time, a lot of his Pokemon are not their faster nature, even ones you would sort of expect. Um, and the ones that are so like one, the Landers is adamant with safety goggles, which is rather cool. I think uh, Terra flying with stomping tantrum and U-turn uh, and Terra blast instead of so foregoing earthquake and swords dance and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Urshifu is adamant with no fighting move and it has taunt which is a very cool tech in my opinion. Um, the Fluttermane is Choice Specs Fluttermane, which we've seen before. And we really saw, where, this was like the 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 era or the moment of Grass, Terra Grass Fluttermane, which we've only seen once or twice before. Um, but I guess it makes sense because one, you're, you take the Surging Strikes from Urshifu, because Urshifu is just not going to blindly click close combat and do a Fluttermane before it Terras. So like it's going to click Surging Strikes. So one, like the Terra Grass lets you one, just eat that surging strikes. And two, we see a lot of Amoongus in the top uh top echelon. Well, not a lot, but a decent amount. Um, once you get in the top 16 or so, there's like every other team has Amoongus on it. Being able to turn into that grass type as a specs flutter main and then just moon blast whatever the Amoongus is trying not to have get moon blasted is really a big advantage. Um yeah, with a chain pow, which you know, chain pow Urshifu's been around, you drop the defense, Urshifu does big damage. Again, we have Adamant and with Icicle Crash instead of Ice Spinner. Um, so one like one just saying, I don't care about the terrain. I want 
that extra they're really just trading five base power of damage for um a flinch chance and slightly less accuracy and we see that on the several chain pals in the top cut in the top four um are running icicle crash over the ice spender that they were running previously um and then we have you know good old salt vest iron hands pretty standard set um as well as Amoongus, a lot of Terra Waters. Um, second place, we have uh, Michael Kelsch, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Um, Where's he from? Germany, actually. I think cool. it was the, the I think this is the highest placing uh, German player in the. Good for in, him. Uh, Good for also, him. and also like his team, I think was very interesting. We had uh, another Chin Pao. Really had a. It's funny of the teams in the top four, uh, three of them have Chin Pao. And the only one with Dragonite is the one that doesn't have Chin Pao. And like anyone that's been on ladder lately knows that Chin Pao Dragonite is like peak Unga Bunga <laughs> team comp. Yeah. So um, was it? Michael had um, he also had Adamant Chain Pao, and his was Terra Dark, which is interesting. We often see the Terra Ghost. Um, and he was running Double Dark again. Like very interesting. Like a lot of these teams have the same Pokemon or same several, but very different sets. Like this one is Terra Dark with a uh, crunch on it which is sort of we don't really see a lot of crunch a lot of the times you see like something like ice spinner sucker punch sacred sword mm-hmm. um, but totally foregoing that to have a double dark move with terra dark and being adamant nature i'd imagine that does i'd imagine terra dark adamant something like terra dark adamant crunch probably does it, i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if it ko's like no bulk flutter main and then we had a um assault vest heatran, which I thought which is kind of a cool set with Terra Grass. I think Terra Grass Heatran is probably the way to play Heatran right now. Um Choice Band Dragapult, which I'm a big fan. I think Dragapult um Chain Pow is just like a heart. It's like it's very similar to Chain Pow Dragonite, but I think the um the skill ceiling might be a little higher, if that makes sense. Like I think it's it's a very tough, it's a tougher combo to use, but I think it can pay higher dividends in the end game, if that makes so sense. So choice banded? Choice Band Dragapult mm. with uh, Phantom Force, Dragon Darts, Terror Blast, and Sucker Punch. Which Sucker Punch is also not too common. Um, Ghost Terror Blast, which makes sense. Uh, we have a, a, also an Adamant Urshifu again with Choice Scar for this time. More of a standard set. Uh, Citrus Berry Rillaboom with Stomping Tantrum. Uh, fake Out and Protect, which is different. You normally see the Fake Out Woodhammer and then maybe like a U-Turn or a Taunt. Um, stomping tantrum is pretty unique and then sort of like the the cool the i guess the sort of wild card of uh the top four maybe even top eight we have a frigoraf got second place which i am as a frigoraf fan i like it also very cool set uh psychic dazzling gleam in prison trick room oh they're running in prison trick room yes that's my favorite combo i love because looking at this team i mean heatran is not that fast Everything else, other than I guess Rillaboom, is pretty fast. Um, but you could definitely Rillaboom Heatran Frigoraph with something else. Uh, you could definitely do uh, do a real Trick Room mode with that against other very offensive teams. Yeah. Well, I mean, all things considered, it was a pretty great world. We got a new announcement before Worlds for the new DLC coming out, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk about them. I mean, it was a yeah. great it was a great time all around. Absolutely, yeah. We have a lot of new Pokemon com- dropping uh, with the new DLC. Some new stuff. Uh, Incineroar's back, so you know we can all either rejoice or cry, depending on how much we like pivoting. Uh, <laughs> Gee, I sure feel like learning Earth Power all of a sudden. No, it's really fun. We're gonna all run Rillaboom, Incin, Urshifu, and it's gonna be great. Mm. Get every Pokemon uh, with competitive on my team just to hurt it. And then we're gonna also have Fluttermane with it 
Hooray. Get that firewater. You can dump, run, you can run the double. Honestly, the double core is going to be very real. I think you can run the firewater grass core with the fantasy core, the fairy steel dragon. Hmm. That might work. I mean, just put a flutter main on it. That's all it needs. Now, 80% of them, like 70 to 80% of the teams had flutter mains. That's insane. Yeah. Looking at top cut, we have, um, just from worlds we have, or even just like day two. Honestly, I think Urshifu may have even surpassed Fluttermane. I'm just looking. So let me get Top Cut. So 20 out of 26 teams in Top Cut had Urshifu. Jesus. How many had uh, Fluttermane? Also 20. Um, maybe okay. 21 if I'm bad at counting. But um, I will say Urshifu is kind of weird because a couple of them were not the Urshifu water. Mm. Um, so they're like not really quite the same Pokemon. I like Single Strike Supremacy. No, the way of the water, my man. The way of the water. In the top, I know in top four, I think there was only one um, single strike. Maybe even in top eight, there was only one single strike. Um, but that's also because you know Flutter Main. Yeah, Flutter Main be Flutter Main. So with all the Pokemon stuff out of the way, I I, I don't say out of the way. I love all of it. Um, we got to start talking about some fishing, and I get to do the fun, boring part kind of a mix up of talking about the history of fishing because it's really really interesting to see how it went from you know you have to do this to survive to this is just what we do for funsies so people have obviously been fishing since they realized that things squirming in the river tasted good uh the techniques on how to catch fish vary between cultures and ecosystems like you could get two people from across the planet who live in mangrove areas and they'll find two different ways to fish uh, the earliest methods were simple. Uh, you chuck a stick at the fish and you hope you get it. And that just tended to work. And for the next 40,000 years, uh, things just kind of went up from there. We actually find fish hooks from the Stone Age. And some prehistoric people went so far as to poison the hooks to slow down their prey. Yeah, so um, the, some of the, one of the earliest forms of fish hooks was the thing actually that was called a gorge which was basically sort of like a, a pointy stick um, often made of like a little sliver of bone or a stone. And uh, the gorge would have bait on it and the fish would eat it. And it was like the, um, once the fish had a rope tied to it in the center of it. And when the fish would eat it in turn, um, the person you would pull tight on the rope and then the, the gorge would turn sideways in the fish's mouth and sort of like catch it that way. And then over time, we saw the evolution of hooks, uh, you know, eventually incorporating barbs and things like that to reach the modern style of fishing hooks. I mean, fish eventually became more than food, though. It became trade. It was your way of connecting with other groups and other villages, other towns, cities. It became so much more because you were, people got so good at it that everyone could now associate like being a fisherman as more than just something for survival. It was a job. It was a role in society. And it became so commonplace that even biblically, it became a universal like understanding. Like whether you believe in anything in the Bible or not, the fact that in the Bible Jesus teaches using metaphors for fishing and using fishermen, it's something that the poor masses who are usually pretty illiterate could understand, could grasp without a simple without an education. It's like, oh, I understand you're fishing for people and helping us get better with ourselves. It, it's interesting just how intricate that fishing became that you could use that. And you would think that in the past, fishing was only used for survival, but we've actually found like records from like ancient Egypt that like fishing was done for sport and even competition. 
Like there were times in ancient man where they let's take a break and actually go do this. And of course it was Egypt because it's usually when something weird or cool happens with the ancient world, it's China or Egypt. It's usually one of the two. And I mean, I, I think there's just an inherent thing about with anything you want to have the best thing. I think, yeah. I think that's just natural human competitiveness. And especially when it comes into something like hunting or fishing, like obviously, even if you're like, you know, using nets or whatever, you want to be the guy that catches the biggest fish. Like even, even in like ancient times, like one, if that was your trade and you were known as the guy that caught the biggest fish from a business standpoint, that's ideal. And also just from a short, sheer like prowess and just letting everyone know you're the cool guy standpoint. Like you want to be the guy with the biggest fish. Bless whoever was farming or not, bless whoever was fishing on the Nile back then with all those hippos and crocodiles I mean, the fact that he got away alive is pretty good, right? I mean, that, that should be that should speak something, something for his character. They're like the rock stars of their days. No, I'm pretty sure those were like the prophets that they stoned, but that's neither here nor there. In any case, uh, like all leisure pastimes, like the true modern fishing that we know today, it came from rich people who were bored. So these are the people who had time and money and just the resources to put into like everything, including their hobbies. Uh, to the point where in the late 15th centuries, there was a book called um, Astrist a Fishing, which was an uh, – it was uh, – oh, sorry. Trees of Fishing with an Angle. Thank you. That's what I was messing up. A Trees of Fishing with an Angle. It was a book discussing fishing and hunting methods meant for nobility only. Like this was literally like a book that was basically made like, hey – don't tell the poors how to properly hunt and fish. This is just for us rich folk who don't need it to survive. Well, so that's partially that this was a large factor in um especially in Western Europe, where um fishing and hunting was pretty much reserved for the nobility, um, like landed gentry type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like the King's Woods they talk about on Game of Thrones and all that as well. And it's also a time we saw a distinction between um, I guess what you would call like a game fish and a rough fish, especially over there. Um, game fish being things that are desirable for their maybe their beauty and their strength of fighting as well as their table quality so like a game fish particular in europe is a thing like certain trout or salmon um which would be like sort of like a noble's fish you know you have the image of a of a wealthy person with their fly fishing gear maybe in the modern age and then something that's like a carp or maybe a pike is more of a rough fish and that's sort of more of was viewed as like maybe for like a common man I mean, between the 16 and 1800s, though, we did finally get to it being the common man being around it. And that was in part because of the local. I also have a copy of the treatise of fishing with an angle, by the way. You do? Yes. It's like, you know, it's like it's like it's like a 58th edition. But yeah, I got it at books a million years ago. That's cool. I I didn't know you had that. That's wild. I mean, is it a good read? Um, it's a lot of weird spellings and more got it for like the. The, the curiosity standpoint. Well, it's so weird because, like, yeah, it was intended to be, like, for, like, the rich and the nobility. And now it's just some Florida man's house sitting on a shelf. Well, and then there's, um, speaking of the 1800s, um, I believe it was published, yeah, 1881. Um, this is another side book as a, as a, as a, an avid fisherman, and especially where I live, geographically speaking, um, the uh, the book of black bass related to like largemouth and smallmouth bass. Um, at the time um, when it was written, bass were considered to be a rough fish that was not like worthy of respect compared to like the noble trout that lived in beautiful mountain streams. 
Um, and they, uh, the book, uh, the complete, the book of black bass was written in 1881 and basically argued that like largemouth bass and smallmouth bass were like an excellent game fish and deserved to be respected and admired. Um, and it sort of changed a lot of opinion at the time regarding them. What's now like, if you look at, you know, there's the Bassmaster classic, there's not a trout master classic. I mean, the fact that they go so hard into it just proves to me that these people, I also have, I also have this book. Yeah. <laughs> I figured, but like, it, it's interesting to me that since again, literacy wasn't so high back then, the reason fishing really did catch on was because of like songs and poems that were sung in taverns. And eventually it got to the point where like the nobility couldn't hold on to it. So they decided, all right, fine, let's go ahead and just open up local shops to talk and sell rods and artificial lore. And oh my gosh, like the, the world of making artificial lures like that are just posted on walls and stuff. Like that's an entire different world. I don't want to be a part of. Like that's. Do you know insane. about the uh, the famous feather theft a while ago? I, I was. About I think to say, we talked about it once, but never we did like, talk about this. That's right. okay. I'm not even. That's going to be another ten minute story. So I'll just all, skip all it. All I'll say yeah. is, if you are interested in a great heist story, find the book The Feather Thieves. It's um, it's incredible. It's an amazing story of just how far you'll go. For a fishing lure, you'll never actually use. Yeah, they're not even for using. And I, 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 I mean, like, and I, I tie some of my own flies. Um, and I also collect a few lures, mainly like weird Japanese lures. Um, shout out to my Kyogre lure. Yeah, lure. <laughs> so good. Um, I will say, I mean, jumping way into the future today, sport fishing. It's a worldwide pastime. It's got its own culture, different styles spread around the world. Different pyramids. anglers go all over the world to go and catch different things. Like, it's incredible just how this pastime is shaped. I mean, it got its own channel on TV. Like, I, I know, like, it got its own channel on TV with, like, just like golf and any other sport. So I feel that's worth a mention. It also got River Monsters. And, oh, my God, that's one of the best shows Animal Planet ever produced was that show. If you've never watched River Monsters, go watch River Monsters. Yeah, I think I think recreational fishing alone is um accounts for like eleven point five billion dollars a year in the U.S. I mean, especially when you consider like the licensing and like the boat stuff. Well, license when you get in the the licensing side, actually, of recreational fishing, um, is honestly all 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 fishing licenses in the U.S. I'm not sure how other countries work in regards to that. All of that money has to go directly to like waterway protection and uh habitat improvement and things like that so in any fishing license sales are directly benefiting the uh, conservation and habitat of the state uh where you're fishing now eventually when video games showed up the, the first ever fishing game was apparently a game called gone fishing made in 1977 and it's weird because like with fishing like so many different companies have tried making games purely for fishing and they're not exactly flying off the shelves like compared to other games. But then you have fishing mini games in just any average game. And they're like 10 out of 10 games. Strongest part of their heart. We love this. And it's so interesting. Why is that? Like why is a fishing mini game in any game more popular, more respected than like just a random game that's only about fishing? I think it might be it walks the line of uh, it hits all the things that you want to without getting too into, like, the details. So, like, think of something like Mario Kart compared to, like, Forza. You know? Like, there, you you can get a lot of... You get the 
the the feel of fishing without having to like know all the intricate details of fishing i i think it also stems to the fact that fishing on its own like for most people is a pastime like it's a break from whatever you're doing yeah it's it's a relaxing it sort of has a very like it, it makes you slow down and in a game like especially in games that might be more like stressful or something Having that that fishing mini game sort of like gives you a time. It's like sort of a nice little breather. It lets you focus on something totally unrelated to the game, but they often typically have some some sort of reward that uh, benefits you in the main game, and it kind of lets you slow the pace down at the same time. If that makes sense. Yeah, it just it's something extra to just like, all right, I've been fighting demons all day. Let's go ahead and just catch a fish. And on that note, there I mean, we could literally pull up every single game and we'd be here all year. But I kind of wanted to bring up Do you a guys few know what the early as far as I could tell what the earliest game that had a fishing mini game in it is. Oh, I couldn't find this. Who had the fishing mini game first? So from what I can tell, I believe it is Link's Awakening. Get out of here. Yes, nineteen ninety June nineteen ninety three, I think it is. Hmm. It really was one of the ten out of ten games. Noted. Yep, um, and that one had a, a relatively basic um, kind of. Oh, we've seen fishing mini games in a lot of Zelda games. Um, it was more like sort of a, a drop. You drop your bait, and you see the fish side scrolling across the screen. Um, and if you if you catch a fish weighing over thirty pounds, you'll get a piece of heart, I believe. Or so the first fish you get of any size. And if you catch one even bigger, you get a uh, piece of heart. And then as it goes on, you can get upgraded lures as well, which that was that was an overhaul in the uh, in the second in the remake, I believe. But um, it was nice seeing that, like they sort of reference that, you know, different styles of lures catch different fish, which is very accurate to real life. I mean, that is pretty impressive that they would actually pull that off all the way back then. But on the other hand. Uh, one of the Japan's favorite pastimes is fishing. They, they yes, yes, fishing is oh huge God. in Japan, and um, it's interesting too because bass fishing is is massive in Japan now. Uh, for largemouth bass, don't get me um, started on the bass problem. Uh, and, and yes, yeah, largemouth bass are an invasive species, which normally you hear about invasive species in America, so it's kind of a, a little little switch them up to see an American species being invasive somewhere else, I guess. But it's still bad. Um, but. <laughs> And I like I, I'm pretty sure there like they have here with a lot of invasive fish you're supposed to like always kill them, but um as a thing that also happens here if the invasive species of fish is particularly fun to catch people often don't kill them, and we see that happen in Japan a lot. Um, there the a uh, fish that actually tied the world a uh, largemouth bass that tied the current world record largemouth was actually caught in Japan a few years ago as well, hmm. um twenty two pounds four ounces I believe. Yes, and we, we there's been a lot of very uh, influence, influ, influential Japanese fishing lures uh, over the years, especially in bass fishing. Uh, the Sanko is um, for all the fishing fans out there is a very popular lure, um, and a lot of like because the Japanese waters are often very highly pressured. Um, there's a lot of as in like there's a lot of fishermen per wa- per the water like the waters are pretty heavily crowded, and the fisher if a fish is caught and released, it gets kind of just learns you know what not to do to not get caught again. So um, there's a lot of innovation coming out of Japan in terms of lure design. That is pretty impressive to think of as how, I mean, like, it's interesting to think that the fish is learning. And I think that would actually be something cool to add into a fishing mini game. Like, if you fish in one spot too long, the fish will learn. Yeah, or if you use a different lure or use a different technique. Yeah, they've, they've done a lot of studies with various species of fish to the point where, like, if certain fish say they were caught on, a, like, a green rubber worm, 
they might not hit another rubber worm of any color, or maybe they won't hit something that's green again for a while. Nice. I, I will say the other game that I, I, that comes to mind when it comes to like fishing mini games for me is Animal Crossing, because mm-hmm. Animal Crossing decided that you know what we're going to put everything we can think of in these waters, like every single thing. Like it, I think it should get points for its variety. But then you're someone like me who like works with like fish and like all these different species from all across the world. It's like, what do you mean these are all in your waterways? Well, and also that you are catching them. You're catching like a goldfish and a squid with the same stick. Well, theoretically, that's doable. In the same, in the exact same location. Well, no, 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 because that's that's not true. The goldfish are in the ponds and the squids are in the ocean. Yeah, they do make the habit of, okay. And goldfish will mouth things they're not, they're curious about. And squids will attack things that are small and shiny. So theoretically, like, you could theoretically do it. It's more things that are like a barrel eye or like, I guess you could maybe snag a sunfish. but A um, sea butterfly. You could catch a sea butterfly. That was like a. You could snag one. Yeah, like with a net, not with like a hook. No, maybe if your hook snagged it. <laughs> it was just drifting there and you grabbed it. Animal Crossing is what taught me what a coelacanth is. I love coelacanths. Wait, it wasn't relicanth in Pokemon? No, because remember I skipped Gen 3. Ah, that's why you're weak. I understand. Well, actually, no, Animal Sorry, Crossing that's... came out before Gen 3. Oh, okay, you're talking about that Animal Crossing. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I'm the dumb one. My apologies. Uh, a Pokemon Ruby. Yeah, that's on me. I mean, you can catch a barrel eye and orphan. Like, it, it's really cool the variety they've added, and the fact that you could literally like, can't you like post them in museums and stuff when you? Yeah, catch yeah well, them? you give them to you give the first one the blathers the alley and puts them in the museum. That was like, yeah. I, I, my, my character would be living in poverty in a roach infested house, but I would have every fish because like that was my priority. I, <laughs> Much like how I live in real life, actually. Animal Crossing, I think, did more for museum appreciation than any video game ever. And, like, honestly, I, I think Animal Crossing taught people about a lot of species of fish that um, don't really get – like, bitterlings are actually a very interesting fish in Animal Crossing. I mean, in real life, not in Animal Crossing. There's the same as every oh, other thing. They're interesting both. Yes, but, like, you know, uh, bitterlings, smelt are interesting. Uh, the various char as well. You know, mitten crabs. Arowana. Arowanas. Aeroprimas. Dorado. I'm just scrolling through the list. Napoleon fish. A lot of fish that the average person that's not really a big fish enthusiast might be unaware of. I've never heard um, of this you fish. Know. I'm going to look up a turkey fish. I've never yes. seen one before. I think a turkey fish is just a lionfish. Yeah, no, it is just a lionfish. Oh, I want it gone. It's invasive. Kill it. It's delicious. Yes, it is. Agreed. It's the only way to get rid of them. That's literally when you work for an aquarium on the East Coast, they talk about lionfish, and all we tell our audience is if you see one, eat it. Because like one of my favorite facts to tell anglers is like, hey, hey, get yourself a, a spear gun, go down there and get it. It's tasty. I mean, you, you don't even you can easily use like you you can go very basic for lionfish getting too. It is they are much easier to spear though. Right, Chris, is there any other like fish? Is there a fishing game that like sticks well, in your head? Speaking of spearing fish, I was very keen to talk about Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I I fell off that? Assassin's Creed pretty hard, so you're gonna have to work with me. I haven't played not? one since Flag Black Flag. Oh, okay. Well, so Valhalla uh, just stick to my mind mostly because it's it's more so recent, but it actually deals with the um, the gorge fishing you're talking about, Don. 
Where oh, you're really? Like, you're just chucking a line out there for any fish to grab. And then it's very much the same. Like you wait for it to bite and you, you pull the rope in. And if you don't steer the fish the right way, the line snaps. Like it's that kind of thing. Um, but I feel like one, I feel like the, the variety of fish that you can catch in the game are very accurate for the areas. Cause you've got haddock, cod, trouts, Arctic chars, um, eels, um, things like that around the, the UK area. Um, but you can also, uh, I feel like it's not as much in other games, but you can go bow fishing. That's also fun. That's also a viable method of, of uh, fish. You see that particularly from what, what like the rough fish that people like talk about, like tilapia, the various Asian carp species, uh, gar and things like that. Yeah. I was actually a lot better at uh, bow fishing than gorge fishing. Not that it was bad. It was just, I got frustrated with the bigger fish always breaking the line. So I would just shoot them with my bow and collect them. But the, uh, I've never, I will say I've never fished with a gorge, but I would imagine it's much harder than fishing with a hook. The uh, one, one aspect that they have is if you don't like the fish that are in your little area, you can meditate and so the time will pass and you can wake up and there will be more fish, better fish in your area. Um, although I don't know. Uh, how I wish I could do that. <laughs> I don't think that's the, the most accurate representation of fishing, but the meditative experience of it, I feel like is something that a lot of people are drawn to with fishing. I do think that is something that really draws people to fishing. I mean, I, I, I fish quite a lot um, in real life as well, but the, the fact that you can just really focus on one single thing and you're also out there surrounded by nature, I think is a very like key aspect of fishing that draws people to it. You got to give a shout out to Udi's Ubisoft every once in a while. That is really cool that they actually looked up the historic way to fish back there in that era and time and actually do it. Yeah, like, that's important to me. Go like raid a monastery and then go fishing. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean that's what you do. Now, I will say in his defense, other people were raiding monasteries too. The Vikings <laughs> were just better at it. I, I, I do think in modern gaming, the greatest fishing minigame had to come from final fantasy 15 it had to what what made like, it i special? mean it you're literally fishing with your boys like, you, like, I, like the whole game you're really just on a road trip with the boys going fishing and that's it like you can go and yeah like stop the kingdom from being taken you can go and get back a vengeance at the people who stole your country or you could ride your giant chicken down to the local lake meet the local wise old fishermen He'll give you some pointers and you go fishing. The, it, the fishing mechanic was so popular that it got its own VR game. Like that's like, I can't say that for any other fishing game, I, any other fishing mini game, that it became its own legitimate game. Granted, the game did not do so well. It, did, it didn't, again, it, it broke the whole like, oh, well, now it's a whole game and not a mini game rule. But it really is really good. You, you go with the rods, you go with the lore, you make sure, like, you can catch different things in different areas. I think it's really cool how they, like, added such detail to it. And in part because it is very much influenced by the Japanese perception of what an American road trip is. Like, if that Just makes any sense. Time with the boys. Time with the boys. Catch I mean, like, fish. I mean, it's really cool because, like, from a Japanese perspective, like, <clears throat> obviously they know mainly about fishing, but much of what they see from fishing like there's their older ancestral ways of doing it but then they'll also see like the modern fishing done in the united states and they'll just kind of do both so it was really interesting to see like 
instead of a Japanese game, like relying on this typical put rod, put string in, pull it out style. Your class, like, classic Animal Crossing, throw in bobber, wait till bobber goes down, reel in. Yeah, this one was actually like, no, you actually have to time it right. You have to act, not only are you trying to catch this fish, you also have to make sure that your line doesn't snap. You also got to tire this thing out and move it in. And I do think it's very funny for like a character who can quite literally like fight turtles the size of mountains and win having to like battle a fish and lose in a strength competition. That is, um, that's, that's, that's my sense. Fish are very strong. They are, but like, are they, the mountain is gone because of my fist strong. I don't know. You're pretty close. (laughs) I think the last one I really want to talk about in terms of the importance of fishing and gaming, going right back to where we always go back to is Pokemon. Because in Pokemon, it was one of the first games I knew of that it lets you change up your fishing gear. Yes. Um, some of the, I believe Ocarina of Time, well, I guess I think the Ocarina of Time was after the first Pokemon, yeah. Um, had uh, multiple lure styles as well. That was also a uh, sort of mini game thing. But you're talking about the, the old rod, good rod, super rod. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Because, yeah, no, Ocarina of Time came out afterwards. I was just checking. But it is, would that actually have, like, an effect? Like, if I used an old rod in the same spot and only caught Magikarps, but then pulled out a super rod and start catching Gyarados. I don't think, Don, you can correct me. I don't know if it's so much that you can, that different fish would be attracted to it because that's a rod, but I think you would be more able, capable of catching, like, the bigger fish because it's made of better material. Here's my take on, on this situation. So... The various rod styles, they vary from game to game, but generally we see the old rod is is sort of a classic fishing rod cane pole style where it's like a bamboo pole with a string and your and your lure, bait, pokeball, whatever you want on the end of it, depending on the game. Um, bamboo bamboo is one of the oldest fishing rod materials. Old fr- old fly rods were made of bamboo. Old general fishing rods are now. Now they're like a bamboo fly rod is like an antique type of item. Um, and like cane poles are still used typically for smaller fish that are like things like panfish, bluegills, you know, just like your small fishing off a dock with a bobber and a worm is typically when you use a cane pole these days. If, if you're inclined to use a cane pole and like, so cane pole being the sort of entry, I feel it's an entry sort of level fishing rod that catches sort of entry level fish in real life. And that sort of translates to the game with it catching magic carp. Um, it could also be a, a system of, you know, like a super rod's got typically like a bait caster style reel, like an open faced reel with a lot of line on it. Um, so one, maybe a super rod lets you cast out farther. Like maybe, maybe magic carp is hanging out real shallow and the super rod lets you cast out farther. So you're in deeper water where the Gyarados are and the Sharpedos and things like that could be part of it. It could also be that maybe the super rod has, um, a superior type of like lure on it depending on the game like they don't really see what's on it but maybe the super rod just is intrinsically using like a higher quality bait um like people will fish for a carp with like a piece of corn um but you're not going to catch a shark with a piece of corn not with that attitude not with that attitude that's right <laughs> but um so I, I think it could be a combination of and like also well maybe the technology the 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 good rod and especially the super rod are clearly more modern so they have more sensitivity I doubt like the bite of a Gyarados is very subtle. So I, I think it's maybe more of a uh, sort of a distance thing as well of a, like a higher quality uh, bait mate. I don't know. Maybe, um maybe the higher level fishable Pokemon are just more wary of being caught because they're higher level. So they're like, they're more suspicious. So maybe it lets you do a better presentation 
Maybe it was what you're saying before. What if everyone basically uses old rods or like good rods and they've gotten more used to it? The super rods are the more upgraded versions, the ones that they're not used to, the ones yeah, that yeah, they haven't you have learned a, about. Because let's say thing like we talked about in how Japan, a lot of their bass fishing is very heavily pressured because there's a lot of, lot of anglers. There's a high angler to fish ratio and like often the water is clear and things like that that lead to fish being more suspicious. Um, so maybe the, the super rod lets you have more of a finesse approach and maybe you're like the extra sensitivity and the style lets you, lets you do it in a way that the fish aren't accustomed to. I think we also need to like stand up and tell Pokemon Scarlet and Violet to bring back fishing. I, the, the um, Pokemon appearing in the overworld kind of killed fishing in Pokemon. Why break out the fishing pole when like Mantike is just like jumping through the have water? just have some of them be underwater. Sight fishing is a very popular form of fishing now uh, for a lot of like very like desirable fish. Like in Florida, bonefish are typically fished for by sight. Um, so they could easily have like water be very clear in the games. And maybe you can see the Pokemon in the overworld, but you know, they're 20 feet below you. So you've got to like get over them and then present present your bait properly for them to eat it. It's weird that they got rid of it. I know why they got rid of it. It makes sense, but much no, like fossil Pokemon, it, it makes sense to their game design. But like, it's just they need it back. Along with fossil Pokemon, I get it. There's a paradox, time world, blah blah blah. I, I want my fossils back, not those weirdos from Sword and Shield, like real legitimate fossils. Uh, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask y'all's opinion on before we wrap this up: What would you think if like a Pokemon game made it so that way you could? Or like Pokemon or any fishing game made it so you could overfish. Like you're taking about in Valhalla, right? Like if you in Valhalla, was it that you didn't have the right fish and you meditated, or you overfished and you had to wait? Uh, there was a, it was, they had fixed spawn points, so it was just a matter of what mm. fish you wanted. So if you were trying to do for a quest and you wanted like sturgeon, if you meditated, you would have a shot at getting the sturgeon when you woke up. So what I'm thinking is that. If, like, with fishing, I think it would be interesting if, like, you went to a pond and you just spent, like, an hour or two fishing and then just things start disappearing and it just has a respawn rate. Similar yeah. to how, like, a dungeon or anything else, if you, like, go in there and you take too much, it takes in. Because that is something we are dealing with with fishing. Now, obviously, it isn't mainly due to, like, random anglers going out and going and casting lured lines. It's a major, huge, overly abundant commercial fishing industry. But I think it is. it was... There's like some really nice um, old school, like 50s, 60 Americana art talking about like how overfishing can take fish away from the young sort of deal. I, I like that. And I would love to see that in the game. Yeah, no, I, I think having some sort of overfishing over exploitative mechanic would be one like sort of just a useful little reference to real life problems. One of the other things I really like about like fishing regulation is that once you get to a fish of a too large a size, in a lot of cases, you can't take them in. Or like things with lobster, like if they are able to reproduce more, you don't want to take them out of the ecosystem so that way you can get more fish. Yeah, so that's the thing we see um, now with a lot of game fish, particularly um, in Florida, I'll use uh, snook as an example. Um, they, they have what's called a slot limit, which you can keep fish within a certain size. So the fish that are small and still growing are able to uh, keep growing. And the fish that are beyond the slot limit, so let's say that you couldn't keep a fish smaller than 20 inches and bigger than 30 inches, that's not the snook limit. Please don't do that. You'll go to jail. Um, <laughs> but like a fish above that is then like, you know, large and it's producing a lot of eggs um, and really doing a lot for the population. So that fish is also protected. 
But at the same time, you're allowing someone that catches a fish within that limit, you know, maybe take one home for dinner and have a nice meal and sort of just as a nice little little extra factor to it in addition to them just getting to enjoy going out and fishing. I don't know. It, it really would be fun. I don't know if gamer developers will take our brilliant ideas, but I think it would be a nice touch to add to it. I don't know. Not just I like it. Yeah. But I mean, I'm really glad we could actually just sit around and talk about fishing because this is just a relaxing time to do. I mean, we got Dragon Con Storm working on, so it's just nice to talk about it. And like I said, with Don, your way of actually fishing is, from at least from my understanding, it is the most sustainable way to get seafood. One of the things that I champion at my workplace is sustainable seafood. Like when you're eating sustainably and locally, you can actually help seafood populations out. Like eating lionfish or only eating locally caught or sourced food is more helpful to the ecosystem than just going and randomly buying something from that was fished off of the Pacific because those fishing regulations are, shall we say, laxed. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, and like one, I'm clearly biased. I, I really enjoy fishing and spear fishing and everything else. But um, I, I really just encourage anyone that wants to try it, just get out there. Um, one... Do a little bit of homework, you know, know, know what you're allowed to keep and what you're not allowed to keep. Don't be the guy that violates the law. You can get in a lot of trouble and you're also just hurting, hurting the resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, don't be afraid to ask around. Look in the local groups. A lot of people, including myself, that love fishing, love talking about fishing. They love getting more people into fishing. So, you know, don't be afraid to uh, don't be afraid to ask for ask for help in that if you're curious. I mean, I'm sure the local, like, shops that sell, like, any of this stuff would be more than glad to help someone out. Absolutely. They make a sale and they get a new person coming in. Like, so the hobby, win-win for everybody. A lot of states, uh, a lot of states, actually, at least for our U.S. listeners, um, a lot of states, fish and game agencies actually offer a lot of resources uh, in terms of, you know, um, like, particular lakes that they recommend to fish. You know, maybe it's ones that occasionally get restocked to, you know, have higher populations and things like that where they're doing improvements. And like I said before, like all your fishing licenses and things like that, at least in the U.S., are um, they go towards conservation. There's actually a uh, an act, kind of humorously named the Dingle Johnson Act, <laughs> that um, a certain percentage of all fishing gear is earmarked of sales. It's a built-in into the price uh, is goes towards conservation of waterways and habitat improvement. Don, you need to take me fishing because I yet to have actually gone fishing in real life. I'm going to come to Charlotte Regionals. I'm going to take an extra day. We're going to go fishing. <laughs> okay. In in January. Oh, it's January where you are though. The the redfish will probably be moving. Okay. Maybe the sheep's head. All right, y'all. So thank you so much to listening to us talk about fishing for about an hour. We really do appreciate your listens. As always, share the podcast, share our videos. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to what we do. We hope to catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.